This is Mike Elgin Radio for Monday, October 28th, 2019. My name is Mike Elgin. This is the new relaunched Mike Elgin Radio. What I've done is I've retired my Fatcast podcast, which had been on hiatus for a long time. Fat, the Fatcast was about food and technology. And instead, I've decided to do Mike Elgin Radio as my one and only podcast. I'm going to be in this podcast talking about technology, talking about some of the themes that I explore in my columns and on my blog. I'm going to be taking you along on my travels and uh, talking a bit about food, um, talking a bit to my wife. I'm going to be interviewing people in the industry. It's basically going to be an extremely down-to-earth podcast. It's very non-performative. There'll be no performances on this podcast. Just me talking to people, talking to you, and talking to people in the industry uh, about all the stuff that interests me. And if it interests you, I hope you uh, listen to this podcast. And if you want to contribute, if you want to tell me what you think or suggest some ideas or respond to something I've written or tell me I'm wrong about something, please send email to mike at elgin.com. All right, well, here it is, the new, improved Mike Elgin Radio. For the first couple of decades of the internet, it was essentially a free-for-all where free speech reigned supreme. Not everybody used it. A lot of companies weren't on it. A lot of governments didn't pay attention to it. And so you could pretty much say anything, and anything you did say would go global. Anyone in the world could see what you said or what you posted or what pictures you posted. And then individual countries started to think about, well, maybe we don't want our... Um, you know, our populations to see these things because it may give them some funny ideas or may disagree with the official propaganda on some issue or another. China is a perfect example where China is very insistent upon censoring any information about Tiananmen Square, about the Falun Gong, about uh, criticism of, the, of President Xi, any number of things. They don't want Chinese citizens to be engaging with that kind of content. And so they set up the so-called Great Firewall of China, where Chinese citizens have a hard time seeing what is on the big, wide public internet and mainly have access to just what the Chinese government wants them to see. So there's always been this fear that the internet would evolve into what they call a splinter net, which is where each nation has its own separate internet. And countries like China, have been pioneering this. Russia really wants to be like China, where they want to block off their internet. In fact, they're going to be doing an experiment where they shut off the external internet uh, for a, a day, I think, and Russians will only be able to see the internal internet. Another fear is kind of the opposite, uh, where any sort of regime like China, like Russia, can censor the internet essentially globally where the the interests the censorship interests of a single nation would be affected globally and the way this would work is that basically if you want to do business in that country if your search engine or social network then you better obey the laws of that country and the laws may say well you can't talk about this that or the other thing and so you have this uh global censorship what's interesting is that both are happening at the same time we're 
developing a stronger and stronger splinter net. And we've also recently entered an era where individual nations can censor globally. Uh, the first country to really censor globally in reality was the United States. I mean, Google, um, Google has been essentially censoring on behalf of the United States for a long, long time. Um, you know, in some cases, of course, Google, the search engine is censored according to Google's own internal metrics. Uh, they don't want child pornography, all kinds of other things, which they censor. And I think most people can get behind those kinds of things. But, uh, but on behalf of the government, at the request of the government, at the insistence of the U.S. government, uh, Google has been censoring based on DMCA, taking down copyrighted content and so on. And this has been a source of, of uh, conflict with you know, free speech advocates, etc. But the second country to censor globally was Canada. Uh, four, four or five years ago, a case arose in Canada where a Canadian company uh, realized that there was a fraudulent company that was essentially taking their products and rebranding them and selling them fraudulently. And so the case went all the way up to the uh, BC Supreme Court, which in 2017 said, okay, we're going to require Google to not allow the fraudulent company to appear in search results globally. And Google complied. And so this is a case in which the Canadian national government is censoring the entire world. Um, Put it in another way, you, 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 you're in the United, you know, um, when I lived in Silicon Valley, I lived within a 10 minute drive of Google, right? So uh, I live in this, you know, United States, which is, tends to be, uh, you know, kind of a First Amendment governed free speech <clears throat> country. And yet a foreign country is standing between me and the company that's 10 miles away in terms of free speech. I, I don't see that result. That's a ridiculous, um, uh, exaggerated claim, but technically that's what's happening. Uh, and of course, it's reasonable for uh, for the, for this censorship to take place. In a way, the offending website linked to a fraudulent company. The legitimate company's products were sold globally. So the only way to really fight this fraudulent company from outright theft of the intellectual property of this Canadian company was you know, to do some kind of censorship somehow so people wouldn't easily find the fraudulent company and think it was legitimate. However, that sets a precedent, and this is the problem. The European Union um, has been flirting with global censorship for a long time around the right to be forgotten and some other related uh, kinds of laws, but the most crushing uh, blow to free speech came recently when the European Court of Justice ruled that Austria can force Facebook to remove a post that uh, went up in 2016 that criticized an Austrian politician. So the, the criticism, basically somebody called this Austrian Green Party politician a traitor and a corrupt oaf and accused them of being a fascist and things like that, which, you know, that's pretty mild stuff uh, in many countries. But in Austria, that is counter to Austrian norms. And so Austria required Facebook to censor that content. <clears throat> Again, the problem here isn't this post. 
The problem is this precedent where, okay, who's going to be next? You know, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, uh, other regimes are going to step forward and say, we want you to take down this criticism of our leader. You know, Turkey is going to say that. Erdogan is going to say, these, these people are criticizing me. I want you to take down those posts, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and, you know, Facebook is, what is Facebook supposed to say? No, no, the, the, uh, Austria is a good country. And you, Turkey, you're a bad country. So we're not going to censor for you, but we will censor for Austria. And they can't say that, right? If they want to operate in Turkey, they can't do that. If they want to operate elsewhere, they can't do that. Ironically, China doesn't have this kind of power to censor globally in this way because they don't allow Facebook to operate in China or Twitter or any number of, of sites. They only allow the social networks and search engines that they can control, that they can censor directly for their internal consumption. But China has uh, other ways of censoring globally. They, uh, they use their... Uh, you know, they, they use things like, um, the, you know, it's mostly their market power, for example. Um, there was a, a, a case in the news recently where the remake of Top Gun, uh, you know, Tom Cruise's jacket, he wears the same jacket he wore in the, in the 1986 original movie, but now these fla the flags of Taiwan and Japan have been removed from his jacket. And uh, Tencent is, a, is an investor, right? So... Nobody knows exactly how the, whether it was, was it voluntary, did Tencent require it, did the government require it? We don't know. But basically, China has this ability to sort of, because of its gigantic market and there's so much money to be made in the Chinese system, they can do this kind of subtle censorship where they don't want the world seeing a Taiwanese flag on a jacket. And so that doesn't appear. Um, China does other weird things about censorship. Like a lot of people don't know that China, the Chinese government owns at least 33 radio stations in 44, in 14 countries, for, you know, in, abroad. Right? So they, they even have a, a radio station in Washington, D.C. So if you're in Washington, D.C. and you're going to your job at the Pentagon or the State Department or whatever, and you flip on the radio and start listening to the news, that news may be censored by the Chinese government which is kind of weird. <clears throat> and then in the news recently, uh, the Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator Tom Cotton co-wrote a letter to the Director of National Intelligence because they want TikTok in investigated as a national security risk. TikTok is growing massively, especially among very young people. And this is a, uh, a, a, a social video company, kind of like you know, uh, Twitter's uh, Vine, uh, which went away some time ago. And basically, there's a controversy over whether the Chinese government directly censors TikTok. But in any way, this, this is, a, this is a, a potential threat because here's a social network that's replacing other social networks. So a lot of people are moving from Snapchat to, or Snap to, uh, to TikTok or Facebook to TikTok. And so they're moving from a social network that's not censored by the Chinese Communist Party to one that is. And what, what, is, you know, what, what, what is to be done about that? Uh, is that okay? Um, and um, and you know, they're also concerned about um, you know, Chinese government and personal details uh, and 
using TikTok as a conduit for foreign influence campaigns, stuff like that. They have, in their letter, they have a, a lot of things they're complaining about. But in any event, uh, we, we are, what, what's very clear is that we're in a new era where national governments can censor globally. And you wonder where this goes. Do, do, the, do the companies like Google and Facebook decide which countries get to censor and which don't? Do they say yes to the European Union, Canada, the United States, and European countries, and Japan maybe? And then they say no to China, Russia, Iran, the Philippines? <clears throat> Based on what criteria do they say no? And do they lose their business if they say no? And are they willing to do that? Probably not. They'll probably just do the censorship, right? So we're entering into a world where every nation can censor for every other nation. So there may be Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan that don't want photos of women with their hair exposed, right? So they demand that censorship. Or, they, or there will be... Uh, you know, the Israeli government or the United States government may require uh, social networks to censor anti-Semitic con content globally, which would be very unpopular in lots of countries in the Middle East. Um, it, it, to me, what, what's really, you know, the worst case scenario is that, and not, you know, not, by the way, not that I'm in favor of, of anti-Semitic content. I am not. Um, but what I'm saying is that it, different cultures, different countries have their particular things they'd like censored. And if all of it is censored, then we're really not going to be able to have any conversations about anything substantive. We're not going to be able to talk about religion. We're not going to be able to talk about politics. We're not going to be able to criticize leaders. And then what's the point of, of the internet, really? Uh, and all of that drives the splinter net, right? So, so Americans, for example, are not going to accept social networks where you can't talk about, uh, you know, you can't violate the Quran. You can't violate the Bible, and you can't talk about this, that, and the other thing. They won't accept it. So we'll, you know, people gravitate to a U.S.-only social network. That's the splinter net. Uh, when you know people in different countries don't have access to each other on these communication systems, or the global internet, the global things, all the global social networks will look like TikTok, where nobody talks about anything of substance. It's all just complete frivolity, pointless, literally almost without content, just entertaining. Um, funny or whatever. Um, and that's the, you know, I think that's really where we're going. We're going to have a combination of a splinter net where substantive conversations will be national, limited to the, to the, to the country. And the global services will be like TikTok, total frivolity, digital soma for the masses. And this is what we're facing. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a happy evolution but what is the solution? Is the solution for the, the free speech ethos of the United States to just be imposed on the world? I mean, I kind of I, I like that idea, actually. 
but but it's 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 a it's a hard one to support. Either way, the end run around 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 free speech is the market power of these countries and and their their ability to say no Facebook you can't be in our country. You can't make money in our country unless you censor according to our criteria. Uh, and that's where we're going. So Look for it. It's, this is this is what's really happening on the internet right now, and it's it's a difficult problem with no easy solutions, and um, and and it's really changing everything. Okay, so we're um, in Mexico City. Uh, what day is it? It's the today is the twenty sixth of October. It's uh, Saturday. And this, the celebrations for the Day of the Dead have begun. Yes. Well, we discovered a restaurant, uh, and you're gonna. And, and so, what what restaurant is this? Uh, the name of the restaurant is called Ticucci, and is uh, the latest project by Enrique Olvera, who is. Uh, really a king here in Mexico City when it comes to food. Yeah, he owns Puyol. He owns Puyol and the restaurant's Ino. Um, And and Molino Puyol, also in the city. Don't care for the the little um, casual restaurants called Ino. Yeah, he's got some really bad restaurants in town. Um, Molina Puyol, it's okay. It's not fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Puyol, of course, is on a league of its own. There's no other like it. Uh, it's truly, uh, truly an institution here. So, th- so this place is uh, the name translates to bat, and it's like a bat cave in here. It's very, very dark and smoky because they have incense burning and lots of candles. A lot of candles. Very romantic, super casual. I don't think it's, it's a rom- very small place actually. Is, you think it's romantic? Yes, it right. is. Okay. And uh, the chef came out to talk to us a little while ago. Yeah. He, he, uh, his name is Ricardo uh, Arellano. I think the waiter told him that uh, there's a there's a crazy gringo lady yeah, out there really. asking grilling him with all these technical <laughs> questions the about questions the food. Questions about the food. So the chef finally came out to talk to us personally. So. Um, He's wonderful. He just moved here from Oaxaca to open this restaurant. The chef. The chef. And I learned that he used to work at Restaurante Criollo, which is uh, probably the most famous restaurant in Oaxaca. It's it's like farm-to-table food and very traditional food. Um, I should also point out that this location, which this is a new restaurant, but this is the location of the original Puyol. That's right. This is the location of the original Puyol. So it was convenient that Enrico Vera already owned the place. It helps. Yes, it helps. Uh, and two doors down from here is actually one of the Ino restaurants. I believe the first one that opened. And a couple of blocks away is like the actual yeah, Puyol, right? Puyol is just a few blocks away. So we're in Polanco area in the Masayari. Uh, well, we're in Polanco in the area. To, to, just to give people a, a sense of how fancy this area is, there's a Tesla dealership about four blocks away. That's right. Yes. Uh, it's a really nice area. Um, personally, I prefer Condesa in Roma. Yes, because they have more soul. But but yes. if you if you really want an expensive imported uh, Italian purse, this is the place. Yes. So what did you think of the food? The food is fantastic. So the chef was just telling, as you know, you heard the chef telling us that they're focusing on um, kind of a zero waste um, 
food uh, theme, meaning they're, they're, they're trying to use more plant, focusing on plant. It's mostly vegetarian, meat, right? Mostly vegetarian and vegan. So uh, because meat takes a lot of resources, they're not using any meat here. So only have a couple of dishes to have fresh fish. Exactly, the fish is not cooked. It's it's serving its raw form, but it's exquisite and fresh, like the tlayuda we just had. Tlayuda is basically a tostada, and it had sashimi on it. And what else? Please pronounce it tlayuda. I don't see that happening. <laughs> tlayuda. <laughs> Your, your job here is to do the pronunciation. I'm here to eat. Anyway, so tlayudas are delicious. They're this um, Oaxacan food, and it's like a flat tortilla. Very thin, though. It's almost paper thin, but very crispy. And um, and then they, they smear with uh, beans, with black beans, ground black beans, fried. Uh, it's delicious. And then some Oaxacan cheese on top, all over it. And then you put, you know, in this case, they put fish, very thin slices of fish, almost like sashimi. That's super unusual, though. Yeah. That's because this is a fancy pants place, that, right? That's right, yeah. But it also had, like, a lot of, um, a lot of purslane, pers um, and, and some other greens, and, and they all, what's amazing is all the, all the plant vegetables and herbs that they serve at the restaurant come from Xochimilco, the Chinampas, which is the traditional Aztec uh, farms, basically, that still done the traditional way that were done for centuries yeah. by the Aztecs. So is this place like mostly Oaxacan food? I mean, it's a bar mostly, but they have really good food in it. Is it mostly Oaxacan? It, it seems like it's really focused on Oaxaca, but Oaxaca is such a center for food in Mexico, period. So many things only grow in Oaxaca. I mean, some of the peppers that they make in the salsa here only can only grow in Oaxaca, and that's what one of the things that the chef was saying. So they're featuring a lot of unusual things that you can only find in Oaxaca. And, of course, the chef is from Oaxaca. He was born there raised there and moved here to open this restaurant. And of course, we're going to Oaxaca tomorrow. And we're going to Oaxaca tomorrow. So we're going to be going to visit his uh, brother, who's the chef Acriollo in Oaxaca, who- Another fancy uh, yes, Oaxacan he restaurant. He suggested we go, to, we go there, so we're gonna go check it out. So, so what is your name again? Ricardo Arellano. Okay, wonderful. And you mentioned that the kitchen that you have here is unique. It's very unusual for a restaurant kitchen anywhere. Can you talk about what's unusual about the kitchen? Uh, so basically we work with corn, yeah. sauce, herbs, and um, you know, um, I'm from Oaxaca City. I don't, I don't go to the university. You know, I start to work with uh, small towns, with uh, old women, and then, you know. The, the old women are the ones who really have all the knowledge, right? Yeah. And around food and cooking, like they really, mm -hmm. they know stuff from their grandmothers that mm -hmm. a lot of people have forgotten. Yes, exactly. So, you know, and the South Park from Mexico is different. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's Mexico, but in South, it's in the South part is a little, little bit more different because we, we different from, from the, in the central Mexico and, and north part from Mexico, and then 
pine frog Oaxaca, and then I had to take the flavor in my mouth when I was young. I, I get the feeling that any, everywhere in Mexico, there's a lot of respect for the food culture and the food of Oaxaca. Yes, I mean, you know. Um, Not enough? Yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's... I don't have password for that yeah. because, you know, uh, in this moment, you know, with every part around the world, yeah. they work with a lot of products from Oaxaca, or, uh, right. I mean, Yucatan, or Veracruz, or Chiapas. Yeah. It's because the ground over there is, is I mean, it's, di it's different, you know? I don't know why the, the flavor from the vegetables, from the chiles, mm -hmm. that's different. Yeah. There are many ingredients that grow only in Oaxaca, yes, right? Exactly. So that makes it special. So is this would you say that this restaurant is, is Oaxacan inspired food? Yes, I think so. The, you know, I'm from Oaxaca and then I've been working in USA for a few years. I started my career over there. When I back I understand about real kitchen, you know. I mean, it's, it's not because uh, that's different, because I learn with different culture. When I pack, I understand what I want right. to make, what I want to cook, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, I, as, as I say again, I don't go to the school, I don't learn. Uh, yeah, didn't go to chef school, yes, you learn, exactly. you learn hands-on, the traditions passed on by the ladies and then in, in, in your town, in Oaxaca, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so what's what's different about this restaurant in terms of the food? Because the food we had, is it, it seemed super traditional, but also it seemed to have kind of a modern twist on it. Some of, some of the food, for example, the tlayuda with the, with the, with the raw fish. Um, that, I've never seen one with raw fish. Like, that's kind of a special thing for this restaurant, or is that... Is that something that exists elsewhere, like No, that's only for this restaurant. Yeah, that's yeah, what I thought. Because the, the chef Enrique, when we, when he started this project, yeah, uh, he tried to mix the Japanese culture right. with uh, Oaxaca, you know, and then, for example, and the guacamole with wasabi, yeah. and yeah. then the tlayuda with raw fish. Uh, we, we try to mix, you know. I never go to Japan, you know, but yeah. I know, I did, I tried, and then in this restaurant we want to try to make like a mixing, right. uh, but never losing the, 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 the roof, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's because yeah. you cannot find different products around the world, Right. sometimes you try something with this, like uh, try tasting the same, yeah, you know, and right. then we try to mix it. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's the idea. Yeah. Well, I'm very impressed, and I have to say I came pretty skeptical, <laughs> but um, you won me over. The food is really, really delicious, and yeah. I, I was curious, in the, the front of the house, there's some ladies working, there's comal. Can you describe the kitchen? Yes, I mean, all the Tikuchi kitchen work around home. Yeah. She has too many people with us from Mexico City. Maybe they are Mexicans, maybe they never try like uh, uh, 
tortilla recién hecha. Like when you make the tortilla in the moment. Yes. You know? yeah. Fresh, and they, made. Exactly. And then they never try to the nice tostada, nice playuda, the texture. And then we try to to work with uh, with that, you know what I mean? It's like uh, With the people understand different words, uh, different ways to yeah. work in the corn. It's not only tortillas. You right. Know? You cannot find tamales, flautas, tlacoyos, tequila. Drinks and exactly. everything, yeah. yeah. And then we work together. Yeah. yeah. No, no, the food is fantastic. And yeah. the ayuda just came out so fresh and yeah. crunchy. And the flavors were just really wonderful. The fresh um, herbs that you put on top were just yeah. really, really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoyed it. And um, the tamale was really good. I understand you're using like heirloom. Corn. Organic corn? Uh-huh. Or no, like, no, no corn. It's, it's what I try to explain, you know? Okay. It's like a, this tamal is not like a traditional. In Mexico, the traditional tamal, you put lard mm-hmm. and the tamal, you know? Yeah. Yes. Because the lard is like a, the, the, the most principal flavor. The fat. Right. Yeah. The texture, like, you know? Yeah. Yes. And, and this tamal is, well, is the first. We change later, but yeah. this is like like, like tomato tamales, the 70% 70 or 70% yeah. is tomato. Yeah, it was very tomato yeah, and very creamy. delicious. And it was kind of, yes. it was kind of like uh, tart from the tomato. It was a little really delicious. acidic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the cheese, it has two kinds of cheese. Yes. Can you tell us about quesillo. that? Quesillo. 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 We, uh, we fill the tamal with quesillo yeah. right. and, and goat cheese. Yeah, the, the goat cheese, cheese on top, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved how the quesillo was melted inside and then you had the fresh um, goat cheese on, on top and it's very mild and delicate at the same time. It's exquisite. Anyway, it was all, it was all delicious, and, and I'm sorry, you were going to say something about that. Ah, okay. Uh, you know, when I make this tamal, my first idea is, like, uh, I love, like, tomato based on soup. Yes, yes. Yes, I love it. Yeah. But too many, too, too many people, they told me with she find like a margarita tamal yeah and then that's that's funny that's funny but that's really yeah the people understand or looking for yeah because it had green it, what, is it basil on top basil, basil yeah basil. Yes. so the margarita tamale yeah. right wonderful <laughs> when i make that it's like a, I, i thinking about tomato basil you should make a pepperoni tamale yeah, yeah. No, no. One, last, <laughs> one last question because we know you have to get back to the kitchen to uh-huh. Making food, but what's it like working with Enrique Olvera? What is it? Say that again. What's it like working with Enrique Olvera? What is it like? What's it? Yeah. Is he like Napoleon or is he like. How is working with Enrique Olvera? It's the best. 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 Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for talking to us. Appreciate it. And we're going to go visit your brother in Oaxaca. So what did he say about Enrique Alvera? Essentially that he's learned a great deal from him and that every chef um, should learn from him. Okay.
It's Sunday, October 27th, and we are in, a, in an Uber yeah. on our way to the airport because we are in Mexico City and going to Oaxaca. How excited are you? I'm super excited. I can't wait. I've, it's been uh, at least 10 years since I've been wanting to go there. Everybody's always talking about Oaxaca. It's like you, you go to a restaurant and like, oh, this cheese is from Oaxaca. This yes. is from Oaxaca. This grew only in Oaxaca. Like you hear that a lot here. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, it, it, I think Mexico City, people from Mexico City really idolize Oaxaca. And they really feel that the whole food scene, the whole, the, the real food, the traditions of Mexico are really well represented by the, the, the culinary traditions in Oaxaca. And to a certain extent, uh, Chiapas. Yes, yes, in different areas. I mean, Veracruz, you, you have, you know, chocolate and, and, and cacao and, and vanilla. Um, in Oaxaca, you have all the different kinds of chilies and beans and uh, all the delicious cuisine, stuff that you don't find anywhere else, like the tlayudas, for instance. So, I don't, there's something very special about Oaxaca, and I'm glad we find it. We are going to Oaxaca for a week, but then we are coming back to Mexico City. We got the Mexico City experience coming up. So in total, we're going to be in Mexico for a month. Yes. And um, and and just like I just love being in Mexico City. It's just such a fun city. And this we've stayed in a lot of different neighborhoods in the city. This one where we were, the location of our Airbnb was fantastic. Yes. Um, that was sort of in the nexus between multiple neighborhoods, right? Yes. It's it was. Uh, yeah, it was border between Roma and Condesa, but then very close to Polanco. So that's that's really um, a great location because you basically, uh, you, you're surrounded by all these amazing restaurants um, and I mean, markets. And, it's ridiculous. I mean, you yeah. basically, when you walk to a restaurant, you pass like 50 other restaurants and, they, and half of them look like places you want to go to. One of the things that I really loved about this particular um, time in Mexico City is, you know, the air quality has gotten better in Mexico City, a lot better than it was a couple of decades ago. But it's still, you know, significant smog. It's it's a giant volcanic bowl that just holds on to the smog. But it's been raining pretty much every day since we've been here. So it's like Mexico City with clean air. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm cheating or something. Yeah, but it's, but it, but the air quality has improved remarkably, though. I mean, they've taken so many measures, the government, to improve the air quality. And, you know, they've got, they've little by little been getting rid of all the old cars and minivans, all the public transportation that used to just spew uh, all kinds of um, nasty uh, CO2. It's almost all unleaded gas now. You don't, uh, Mexico City used to be famous for Volkswagen Beetles. Uh, and now you don't even see them anymore. You know, barely. You see them. You see dilapidated beetles by the side of the road here and there, but for the most part, you don't see them. Well, we're at the airport, so um, we'll we'll pick this up later. Well, we made it after an arduous journey and much waiting, and uh, a lot of sort of travel. Everything took a long time except for the 45-minute flight from Mexico City, but here we are in Oaxaca. So what do you think so far of Oaxaca? I love it. Um, super touristy, but it's so charming and beautiful, and of course you can't blame the tourists for wanting to come here. That's why we're here too. 
It's, it's really, really nice. I mean, it's touristy in the sense that it's like super um, gentrified, like the, especially the area where we're staying. It's really like, the restaurants look really... Stay in the historic center. Right. I mean, this whole area is, is the historic center. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, you call it gentrified, I call yeah. it touristified, but <laughs> it's, um, no, it, it's beautiful. And yeah. it has a lot of infrastructure and that's, that's why tourists come because they can handle it. But, oh my goodness. There was so much weight at the airport getting a taxi because of all the people coming to uh, for, for day, of, day of the Dead, yeah. for Dia de los Muertos festivities. And really, we're here for a week, so it's a week of the dead. Yeah, for us. But anyway, it's, it's really great to be here, and uh, so we'll, we'll um, report, give a full report on, on Oaxaca we'll next we'll week. We've been having lots of Oaxacan food so far. It's okay. Um, We've just been picking tourist spots at random. We haven't really explored. Yeah. Tomorrow I'll be exploring and finding all the gems. The good news is that I'm sitting in front of a gigantic beer. So it's like Oktoberfest-style beer. And uh, that uh, makes everything okay. A whole liter. Yeah. For 80 pesos, which is like... Four bucks. That's the three, $3.75, something like that. What is that per gallon? Never mind. Anyway, um, yeah, Oaxaca's awesome so far. Really loving it. Well, there it is. The first episode of the new, improved Mike Elgin Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see pictures of our travels, go to gastronomad.net. And if you'd like to comment on this podcast or on anything really, uh, please send me an email to mike at elgin.com. Again, thanks for listening.